Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. I manage a remote company, so we hire team members from all over the world. One of the most tedious things about hiring and growing a team is the HR administrative part of it all. As my company was starting to grow and we were starting to hire more and more team members, I knew I needed a solution that would help organize my employees and company better. That's when I discovered Humi. The value that Humi provides begins the moment you think about hiring. With Humi's recruitment portal, I'm able to publish my job posts, sync it to all the other popular job sites, and feed all the applicants directly into Humi. When you're getting hundreds of applicants and interviewing dozens of people per day, you need a system that will help organize your hiring process so you can simply focus on finding the best person for your company. After you find the right person to hire, you have to onboard them into your company properly. That requires creating contracts, company materials, sending it to the new hire to review and getting them to send it back to you, among many other things. With Humi, I have all of my contracts and documents preloaded and they are dynamically filled with the new hire's information. So there's no more manual work and back and forth involved. All documents are signed online through Humi and tracked accordingly. That part alone saves me at least two to three hours per employee during the onboarding process. But probably one of my favorite features of Humi is their time off feature. Now I'm able to create my own company time off policies. All of my employees can request time off directly through Humi and I can either approve it or deny it on the spot. I'm able to easily track how many days off an employee has taken in the year and the entire team is able to see a live calendar of who's scheduled to be away. So if you're a company owner, you have employees, or you're thinking about growing a team, I would highly, highly recommend checking out Humi. That's H-U-M-I. They have it all. HR, payroll, benefits. Uh, I have an exclusive promo only for my listeners. I got you 30% off your subscription. Uh, Make sure you sign up at humi.ca slash founderviews so they know that I sent you and you get you 30% off. That's humi.ca slash founderviews to get 30% off. Trust me, you won't regret it. In this episode, I'm speaking with serial entrepreneur Josh McDonald. Josh is a fellow software entrepreneur from the greater Toronto area as my. So it was really great to connect and hear his story and what a story it is. Josh is only 24 years old at the time of recording this, of course, uh, and he has a tremendous wealth of knowledge and insights, which is extremely impressive. Uh, Josh got into the internet game at a very young age. He was making tens of thousands of dollars when he was only 15 years old. Uh, He's then since built companies, sold companies, and even wrote wrote a book recently called The Non-Technical Founder, where he talks about his journey and experiences as a non-technical founder, building, growing, and eventually selling companies. Uh, He's done all of this bootstrapped, which I love, of course. Currently, Josh passively runs a SaaS company called GetShout.io and an apparel brand called Abella, which is making five figures a day in revenue. Uh, Very impressive individual. This is an episode I'm really excited for people to listen to. So without further ado, here's my chat with Josh McDonald. 
All right, Josh, thank you so much for joining me on the Founder Views podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. So, so we, we connected on Twitter. I'm not sure how, like, you know, I followed you, you'd followed me. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure, but, but I remember looking into you because I saw you were a fellow software entrepreneur uh, from Toronto, which you see more now, but it's not too common where I run into uh, young software founders from the same city uh, like yourself. So, uh, but, but you have a very intriguing, very unique story and background. I think, uh, you know, you founded several companies, you sold companies, you're an author, you wrote a book. So there's a bit I want to dive into, but uh, I guess just to kick things off, do you mind just telling our audience a bit about yourself and what you're up to today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm 24 years old. Uh, I went to school in Toronto. I say I'm from Toronto, but I wasn't actually born there. I live about an hour and a half outside of Toronto and I went to school for uh, computer science, actually. So, but my first company was in software. I was 15 at the time, and I didn't actually write the code for that. I had interest in software, but I wasn't that great at it, so I actually outsourced it. And I built that company up, and PayPal actually closed my account, so I actually ended up like losing that company. But at the time, we were doing really well. I had 1,200 customers. It was, uh, it was a great success um, until PayPal took that from me, and then I basically had to go back to the drawing board. And that's kind of when my, I kind of had like a two month or two year break kind of when I went to school and was kind of figure out what my next thing I was going to get into was. And then in school at University of Toronto, I figured out another company called Serpclicks and I basically built that. I hired that one out again too, even though I was starting to get better with coding, uh, I still hired it out and kind of just handled sales and kind of taking uh, the direction of overall where I wanted to take the company and that company sold about 18 to 24 months uh, after I started it. And since then, I got into e-commerce a little bit. I have a company called Abella, A-B-E-L-L-A. You can search it up on Google. It's a women's uh, apparel brand. And we've done pretty well with that. Um, and then hopefully end up selling that one too. So that's kind of where I've been. That's awesome. Okay. So a few things going on. What's taking up the most of your time right now? Is it Abella? Um, it was at one point getting it off the ground, but we have so many systems in place. I have three partners with me. Uh, so my, my role there is very specific. I'm the youngest of the, of the group since I'm 24. My partners are, I think, 28, 29, right around there. So they're a little bit older, uh, whereas our target market is like, 18 to I'd say 24 year old girls, like college age girls. So I'm probably like the most, um, the closest of age to our demographic. So I really kind of lead the social media and how we want to be seen as a brand. Um, I'm also in charge of sourcing, but you know, once you kind of get the groundwork laid, um, you know, sourcing's kind of figured out, we just know, you know, every so many days we got to make an order at this volume. So it really only takes like I want to say five, five hours a week, that company right now. Um, I spend a lot of my time trying to clear my schedule and work less and less that I have more time for new opportunities when they come. Um, so right now I've been kind of stepping back, uh, really focusing on my health and uh, trying to just click, finish up a lot of things that I have going on, a lot of projects so that I can open up for another one uh, as soon as, you know, a ballot gets acquired or whatnot. Love it. Okay. That, that's awesome. Um, what about sh- uh, Get Shout IO? Is yeah. that, uh, are you, is that still active? Still working on that? So basically the story on that company, um, 
I needed it's an influencer search engine, and basically most of my tools that I make in the software space have something to do with automation of marketing. Um, you know, scraping data and showing data in beautiful ways, etc. So this was like it was a perfect fit because I wanted influencers, um, and I knew the data was out there on influencers, but nothing really existed at the time I was starting the company. The issue that I ran into that company was that basically you need to, all my competitors were like pretty big. Um, everyone in that space has venture capital money. Um, my projects, all of them, uh, even e-commerce, et cetera, is all bootstrapped by me and my partners. Um, I've never raised venture capital and I enjoy not raising venture capital because I hear horror stories of those who do, you know, sleepless nights and, you know, someone always, you know, getting a hold of you wondering what's, you know, are you going to be making your money back and just, you know, sleepless nights and a lot of that is stress that I personally don't want in my life. So basically I put a ton of my own money into it and it's still not enough. Um, we have customers, but basically when shout was probably a year old or so, that's when Abella started taking off and we were doing five figures a day in revenue very quickly with our e-commerce site. So that's kind of when I put shout on the back burner, I still have it. I still own it. Um, and I still use it myself internally for my, uh, my e-commerce company. Um, but it's not really a big focus right now. Although it's, you know, it's something that I will end up pushing more and more. I get leads every week. I get sales here and there, but it's definitely like not a main focus. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Cause when I, when I saw a shout, um, I thought it was like a, a, a great, uh, you know, niche product, but you're right. It is competitive. Um, yeah. my company's sort of in a, in a similar spot. Like I'm bootstrapped as well. We're in a super competitive industry in real estate, but, um, you know, with a lot of grind, hard work, they've definitely, uh, made it happen. Uh, yeah. so, so that's interesting. Uh, it, it's, it's for sale right now, as, as I see on the website. Yeah. I'm, I'm keeping my, uh, options open. If someone wanted nice, to purchase nice. it, you know, when you have so many hours into it, um, it's hard to, Basically, when you when you go to sell a company, it's valued based on how much money it's making, and that company, given it has such a short span of of proof of revenue and proof of profitability, it's not really worth what I think it's worth yet. Uh, just given you know, say I sunk a thousand hours into it, I start running numbers on what people you know would pay for it based on the money it's making. It's not quite lining up yet, um, but there are I have probably four or five uh, different companies over the past, I want to say six months that have reached out to me. Sometimes they're competitors and they just want to like acquire technology and integrate it, things like that. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of like keeping my um, eyes open. If, if anything kind of any sort of integration works, any sort of deal that makes sense for both of us, but uh, not totally focused on selling it yet, but just keeping my ears yeah. open. Nice, nice. Okay, perfect. So, a lot to I want to sort of unpack there a little bit. Um, but you know, first, so you you started your first few companies. You didn't know any code. You outsourced it all. But now, uh, do you code? Are you? Do you consider yourself a developer now? Yeah, like I, I could ever since my first company, like I, I was able to code the very basics. So I was able to probably uh, talk to and understand my developers and what they're working on. Maybe eighty percent. Of the time. And then now that I've, you know, got my degree and everything, um, I know more than my developers most of the time. So when they get stuck on a problem, they, they can come and talk, you know, technical to me and we can figure out a solution. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. 
fair enough. Um, so currently, as it stands right now, you got Abella, which is an e-commerce um, mm-hmm. apparel brand, and you still got uh, Get Shout. Are those yeah. the two like active companies, or do you have anything else uh, going on? I have stuff that I'm involved in. So I have a couple of basically when I built my first company, Keyword Scout was the first name of the, of the company. That's uh, basically I just like to say PayPal took it from me because that's kind of really how it went. Um, that company, I had 1,200 customers, like I said, and those customers ended up being some of my mentors, some of my now partners. I made friends. Um, you know, that company was almost 10 years ago now. And, you know, one of my first customers, he's now a partner of mine. You know, we've been good friends since for nearly a decade. I'm actually going out to his, you know, his place next weekend in Vegas. We're going to have a Christmas party. It's going to be a great time. So people often ask, just a side answer to something. People always ask, how do you find mentors? How do you find partners who are successful, et cetera? They were my first customers. So these guys now I work with, um, another one in New York, they kind of bring opportunities to me and we kind of build different projects. We have some eBay stores with one of them. Um, and I'm not going to go into specific details, but we, I build software to automate the stores. Um, we have some other stuff that basically the way I see it, there's a book called rocket fuel. It's a, it's a great book. And it, it just basically goes over how you kind of need two people, um, you need an integrator and like an idea guy that's, that's uh, involved so that someone can kind of lead the company and someone can kind of integrate all the ideas. And so I can, I'm, I basically, the book breaks down like the traits that you need to be each of those and I actually talk to the authors. And uh, because I want, I always saw myself as like someone who could do both. I read both the trait list. And I'm like, I can do both this stuff. And I talked to them. They're like, yeah, it's completely possible. You can, you can be both integrator. And I can't remember the name of what they called the other half, but it was like an idea guy. It was uh, the visionary was the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, basically I'm, I used to be a visionary. And now on these two projects that I've been involved in, I'm, I'm now an integrator where I'm actually writing the code. And then once the companies prove uh, good profitability, We'll just bring in some developers. I'll oversee them. I'll still stay in the, in the integrated role, but the visionary is going to go off, get the sales, and then you know basically scale it up to make it worth uh, you know a lot of money through uh, good profitability. Love it. Okay, that's the, the, the book you said. Rocket Fuel. Yeah, Rocket Fuel uh, has an orange cover. All right, perfect. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, the, the PayPal situation. You were 15 um, when they took it away from you. So you had 1,200 customers, you said. Like, mm-hmm. how much do you share, like, details in terms of, like, how much was in the account that they took away? Like, how big was the business? Um, yeah, it was um, – so we had a, a – it was less than a – so we had – when I started the company, it was all monthly recurring subscriptions. So everyone was paying $39 per month uh, for a license. And I did that for a while, got somewhere between 50 and a hundred customers paying that not a ton of money, but again, I was like 15 living at my parents' place. I had no expenses. My parents gave me lunch money. I had, I had no expenses. So it was just, you know, it was, it was all, it was basically all profit um, at minus, you know, my cost for running the company. Um, so, I ended up adding in a lifetime license. People didn't want to pay the monthly thing. They were kind of scared of it. So instead of $40 a month, I said, you know what? One-time license is 200 bucks. And so I, I had a, you know, a, a good chunk of people that jumped on that offer. And um, I ended up doing a uh, kind of like a fire sale around Christmas. And I basically sold licenses for $99. And that blew up pretty quickly. So the company started in October 
of 2011. By December 2011, uh, we had nearly $20,000. I say we, but I just speak of that. I'm the only owner, but I say everything that I own as we, just a habit. Um, We had nearly $20,000 in sales in the month of December. Um, which is kind of a quick success for someone who's never ran a company. You know, I'm 15, 16 years old, and it just kind of blew up. Um, that kind of sets off like alarms, I guess, at PayPal when someone just randomly just starts an account and then has a ton of customers and a, just a big influx of money coming in. Um, and it kept going on into January and then February, they limited my account. Um, it was due, they don't really give a reason, um, but I believe. It was just the influx of sales. They wanted me to do some sort of, uh, I can't even remember the, the terms of what it was, but I had to get a hold of some guy. He lived in California and I, he worked for PayPal, obviously. He wanted me to reach out to him and explain things. I called him four times, four or five times, couldn't get a hold of this guy. And I basically kind of just gave up. Um, I wasn't going to be able to prove anything anyways because I was under the age required to own a PayPal account, right? I was 15 or 16. I think you need to be 18 there, 19 to have an account, probably 18. And so I wasn't even, it wasn't even looking that great, even if I did get a hold of this guy and was able to get the account back. Um, the refund rates were at 5%. So out of a thousand sales, I would refund 50 people. Uh, chargeback rates would be, I don't know what, I would have got maybe less than 1%. Uh, but you're still getting a good amount of refunds and a good amount of chargebacks when you're selling on, on at such a scale. So that might have been another thing I set the triggers off. Um, Fast forward two or three years later, started getting a good following on, on Twitter, on social media as a whole, and I was able to actually get my account back. So I have PayPal back. I'm one of the few people who have been able to get access back on PayPal. I'm now of age to own the account, don't really have any issues. Um, but that's kind of my battle with PayPal. Yeah, that's quite the story for a lot of money for any 15 year old. I mean, that's yeah, that's it, was, it was five crazy. figures that was in the account uh, to answer your question. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, awesome. All right, that's interesting. Um, so, one last question in regards to Abella. You mentioned uh, 10 figures a day, you said, or five figures a day? Five, five figures a day. Five figures. Okay, five. wow. That's that's oh, huge. I was thinking when I say if I said 10, I was probably thinking tens of thousands. No, oh, you might have said five. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right, perfect. All right, that's awesome. Um, switching gears a little bit, you know, one of the reasons you mentioned your Twitter following, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I like following you on Twitter is because you know you're constantly dropping these these insights that are always on point. And like you know, for a 24 year old, like you seem to be very uh, wise, wise beyond your years. Um, you. So, wh- where do these experiences and insights come from? You think? Have you ever lost a potential customer because you weren't connected to that one random platform? It's definitely happened to me. I recently came across a company called Data Automation. These folks are a must-have partner for a SaaS company. Instead of saying no and losing that potential customer due to a missing integration, you should reach out to the team at Data Automation. They're absolute whizzes in integrations and automations. They're Zapier certified app developers and very, very reasonably priced as well. Uh, Check them out at dataautomation.com. That's dataautomation.com. Tell them Costa from FounderView sent you and they'll definitely take care of you. I spend a lot of time uh, in self-thought. I live alone. 
um, I've actually kind of isolated myself over the past, uh, I live in Canada, well, as you know. So basically the weather is cold. There's not much to do outside in the winters unless you live in a city and, you know, create your own kind of fun. So I actually live, uh, in a quiet small town and I, I, I have friends here, but I very much keep to myself and I spend a lot of time in my own thoughts, thinking alone and, you know, you do that long enough. You, you know, I live by myself and I spend most of my days by myself. I, I go to the gym by myself and this is all by choice. It's not loneliness or anything. Um, people ask to hang out on Fridays or whatnot. And I say, no, I'm, I'm just staying. And I'm going to work on this and that eat by myself. And by the time you just do all this stuff by yourself, you just start thinking in your own thoughts and you just, things just come to your mind. And I just decide to just kind of throw it on Twitter. It's just like my mental notepad. Um, I talk to a lot of different people, um, like partners and whatnot, who are generally all older than me. Um, and they kind of say interesting things and then I come up with these, uh, just insights, like you said. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I'll definitely add a link to your Twitter. I, I definitely encourage, um, all the listeners to, to check you out on Twitter. Um, okay. So talk about business again. So from what I can gather, your, your primary expertise i guess you can say is seo would that be accurate that's where i got involved initially yeah yeah um, okay expanding a little uh, bit but yeah yeah okay um so one of the most common questions i get when speaking to especially early stage founders and ceos is about sales and gaining traction early on so uh, in your case having built and grown so many companies what would be your advice to those those individuals um like are you able to share how you got your earliest customers and gain traction early on in your businesses yeah every business is different um it really depends on a couple things first of all your target market are you going after businesses or are you going after consumers so if you're b2b which is most of my stuff with the exception of my e-commerce site um you basically need to figure out are you the first product of your type or are people already aware that your product exists and you have competitors, et cetera, because then if, if there's, if your product already exists and there's a better alternative, it's easier to convince the sale. Um, when there's already a demand, there's people already searching for it. If there's nobody searching for your product on Google, then SEO is entirely pointless. Um, my first company, my, my first company, we had competitors. It was already in demand. My second company, Serpclix, there was nothing like it. It was, uh, there was basically a, it was just another SEO tool. I'm not going to go into the details, but there was nothing like it at the time. It, it was uh, leading edge. And so I basically had to convince every agency. It was mainly agencies uh, who I sold to. I had to convince them that they basically need this tool, what it did. And I had to convince that it was necessary in their business. And I was able to do that, but it was very uphill. So that for that business, I had to do outreach. Eventually the outreach um, got big enough to where kind of word of mouth between you know, 50 plus agencies who are already happy customers. It kind of just started expanding. Outreach was less necessary. I just kind of got sales, would talk about me. And word of mouth definitely came into play because the customers were just happy. Now, something like Shout, which is an influencer search engine, there's other search engines out there for influencers. There's all sorts of influencer tools. So there's a different uh, approach. You can go, you can go for SEO. You can go for AdWords. Um, you can go for... One of the guys in my book, a friend of mine, Brad Owen, founded a company named Never Bounce. And it's basically email cleaning service. So if you go to um, a clothing store and they ask for email for a rewards program or something, that email goes through a cleaning service to make sure that it's a real email that you provided. Um, he taught me the lesson that basically you want to find a, 
a company and he's probably has, I want to say one third of the fortune 500s as clients. So it's, it's scaled quite big and it's, it's in the process of being sold right now. Um, Brad told me basically when I was interviewing, interviewing him to be in my book that it's easiest to get clients when you can find another company that you don't compete with, but your clients are basically the same. They overlap. And so he's an email cleaning service. So he reached out to companies like GetResponse, iContact, AWeber, et cetera, and became partners with them. And so they kind of worked, I'm not sure the arrangement if they're affiliates or if it's like a two-way street where they cross-promote each other. But basically, that was an excellent way to grow if you could find someone in your space um, where your, your customer lists overlap, but you're not competitors. You can both benefit from cross-promoting. So that's another option. Um, when you get outside of B2B and you're going for consumers, uh, with Abella, we just went straight to uh, Facebook and Instagram ads. Got you. Do you do any, uh, have you done any outbound sales? Well, when I said like cold outreach, um, yes, we don't, we don't, it's generally by email. Um, so if you're, if like back to what I was saying, if you don't have any competitors in your space, you're the first of your kind outbound is really one of the few options, um, you have, but if you if you come if something already exists in your space, outbound might not be necessary because you already have people um, looking for you. Yeah. I, I try to like stay away from outbound unless it is it's it's needed because I've done so much of it that you know I've seen outbound emails go wrong where people get mad. Like people do not like you sending them an email. They do not like to get emails. They're more busy. Um, even one time when I was interviewing people for my my book, I basically had an email list of 500 CEOs, very, very important people, millionaires and billionaires. And I emailed them from my EDU email account, University of Toronto. And uh, I got a hold of one guy and he was so mad that I invited him to be interviewed in my book. He was just mad about it. He was just very, very upset. He was going to get a hold of the dean at my school and get my email access blocked and get me try to get kicked out of school. It was, he really tried <laughs> wow. to just make me just, it was, it was hard to believe. Like some people just, you just catch them at a bad time and they're so grumpy there's nothing you can do about it. So like when you get scaled up on outbound sales, like you're going to get, you're going to run into issues and people are just going to try to make your life a living hell. So I really, um, it, sometimes outbound is needed. Um, but I really encourage people to look at many other ways because sometimes they'll just, they'll put an entire day of effort into destroying your company on the internet. Like they'll just write things about you. And then you got weeks of work to figure out how the heck you can get all these reviews down, even though you didn't deserve it, et cetera. So outbound, um, it's very useful. Um, but if you have other options, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, with outbound, uh, definitely have to tread carefully, but I, I think there's still uh, room for it if done ex- executed properly. Um, yeah. it, it's funny you mentioned never bounce. I'm pretty sure we've used them at some point with the email cleaning service. Um, Pretty but I, yeah. about competition, which said it was an interesting point. And coincidentally, I just literally wrote a blog or, or released a blog uh, last night on my website about competition. And, you know, my perspective on that, I think competition is a great thing. Like when I see an industry with, you know, different competitors uh, and, and many companies offering similar services to cu- customers, uh, that just tells me that there's a healthy yeah. market spending a lot of money on these services and, you know, um, a small piece of a big pie could potentially be a lot of money. And like my company is a perfect example of that. Like we entered the real estate space, which is highly competitive, but uh, we sort of got our sliver of a pie in a, in a a big market, a sliver of a pie could be uh, pretty significant. So um, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So you, you talked about, or you, you mentioned your book uh, a couple of times, which I want to get into, but um, 
before that, so as a non-technical founder, which uh, I guess at mm-hmm. first you were, but but now not so much, uh, which is also the title of your book, The Non-Technical right. Founder, um, how did you find developers to build your products? I, I just feel like that's a tough hurdle to cross for a lot of non-technical people. So like, are you able to share any yeah. development strategies or yeah. how you go about finding a, a remote team or a development team in general? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of tips, a lot of things that, that you can do to protect yourself because, you know, I've been in a bad position where my first company, I hired a guy and he basically put like a blackmail me. I think it was like $4,000. He built the, built the project and he gave me the executable, the, the end software, but he didn't want to give me the source unless I gave him just $4,000. And there was no other option. I think I, it might have been 3000 but it was, a, it was a good chunk of money for being you know 15 years old, someone just saying, pay me or you don't get it. Um, so I, have been there and, uh, yeah, we covered this extensively in the book, but I'm going to cover it again right now. Some of the points, but you go on Upwork, uh, generally, uh, there's some other options, but Upwork's really been really well for me. Uh, I've probably hired over 300 different people on there over the years. You kind of need to, it would be a good idea to consider hiring a consultant in addition consultants if you don't have technical experience you can bring in a consultant for two hours and you can get him on call and you can talk talk to him about your idea on the top level and this consultant will give you like an unbiased overview of some of the technologies you should probably use that would be ideal for this and just help you make overall decisions about you know writing some sort of spec at the end of this you want to have a two-page spec that outlines different technologies you want to use and different uh, things that are necessary and how you want to build this. Because when you get talking to developers, um, I'm a developer myself, but I know they're like, including myself, we're very like hard headed and we want to do things our way, even though they might not be the most optimal way. So it's nice to have someone, you know, pay them an extra, like a consultant for a couple hours is only going to cost you a hundred, maybe $200. They're going to give you like unbiased ways that you should get this built and then you can take that to a developer and, and you already, you already know kind of where you want to go with this. So a developer can't say, Oh, you know, I think we should use this technology instead and we should do it this way, you know, build it on windows and, and this and that. And sometimes they just want to do that because it's easy and they're lazy and they just know it, that it, it's the easiest thing to build. and It's not necessarily the best for you. So they can often talk you into like awful, just awful ways of doing things. And if you have a, a consultant kind of watching your back from the start, that's helpful. And then you can keep them around and then you get your technology built and then you can bring the consultant back in for an hour or two, say it was a fixed rate. You can go hourly or fixed, uh, fixed, uh, rate contracts. If it's a fixed rate, you can bring the consultant in for an hour just to help inspect it, actually look at the code and say, you know what, this is built properly. Um, you know, go ahead and pay this guy. Or you could say, you know what, this, this is a mess. You know, he didn't lay this out at all properly by any means, you know, this, this, this needs to be changed. And, you know, when you have someone with a technical side and only costing you, like I said, less than $200, uh, it can be a great asset. So that's probably one of the big tips I, I suggest. That's a great tip. You know what? That's, um, I love that. You don't hear um, that advice too often, but I think that's really smart and very affordable. I mean, yeah, you're right. Hire someone in a couple yeah. hours, review your stuff, and that could be super valuable. So yeah, great point there. <laughs> Um, so about your book again, the non-technical founder, uh, when was it released? Uh, 20, say 2017. It was track of the years. They go so fast when you're self-employed in school, but <laughs> 2017. Nice. 
Okay. So uh, I know you mentioned uh, a few points that are in the book, but like just like a broad overview, like what's the premise of the book and like, who's it written for? So basically the reason I wrote a book um, is because when I had early success in high school, you know, all my friends or not even friends, anyone who knew me just wanted to know like, Josh, how are you, how'd you do this? They can Google me. They can find out things like, how are you doing this? You're, you know, you can afford to travel and, you know, we can barely afford to get a slice of pizza at lunch. It's, it, I was making quick money and, and people want to know. And eventually, like, I love helping people. So eventually I would just tell, I'd sit down with them for hours and they'd text me and I would answer them for hours. But eventually my time became more, more valuable. And I was like, you know what? There's a lot of people that want to know this kind of stuff. I just can't be explaining it one-on-one every time. So I decided to write a book. I kind of just went over and I, it's kind of like a manual. I say it's more like a manual. It's, it's not really like very flowing. It's just, it's, it's an overview of how you would build a company start to end. And so you can kind of read it as you build a company or, or you can read it all in one go. That's also an option, but it's basically broken into three steps. Uh, you have the ideation stage. So you need to have an idea and, and then it also shows you how to come up with good ideas, but most importantly, how to validate an idea. You need to make sure it's a good idea and an idea that works for you. You know, idea, a good idea might not be necessary to pursue or right for you to pursue if you're not the right person to execute on it. Um, you know, it needs to fit your goals. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Do you just want enough money to support your family? Or are you trying to be, you know, the next Bill Gates? You know, if you're trying to be the next Bill Gates, you, you need to really seriously just go after these really weird ideas and, you know, not mess around trying to make, you know, $100,000 a month or something. You know, it, it's building small companies is not going to lead you to a big company. You need to go for like these crazy ideas. So there's basically the first part is breaks you through, walks you through all these different you know checklists. If it's right for you to, to execute on, if there's a good chance of it, su- of it succeeding, excuse me, um, you know, based on competition, based on different things, uh, based on if there's anything like it, et cetera, if there's, I like to go through the path of least resistance uh, for anything that I do. Uh, so I don't like to pick things that are going to be an uphill battle. Um, it's just, life's just easier if you take not necessarily the easy route, but when presented with a different path, you can take a company. Um, it's just, you can get more things done when you find the most efficient route to do it. Uh, that's the first part. And the second part is development. So like kind of what we just talked about a few minutes ago with defining developers, protecting yourself, uh, different ways to to vet developers and, and interview them, et cetera. I walk you through all of that process and then you know, checking their work, et cetera. And the last part is marketing. So we go through how to get your first clients, depending on what you built. If you built an app, you know, it's a different way of marketing an app versus, you know, marketing, uh, you know, a desktop software. Or when I say app, I meant like a mobile app for iPhone or something. Uh, are you building a B2B, B2B software, et cetera? So I go through all the marketing. And then at the end, I briefly touch on, you know, how to sell a company. But uh, that's, that's so far in advance, so I only write a few pages about that. But that's basically how the book is laid out. And I interviewed, um, there's, I think there's 24 uh, millionaires and one billionaire at a time. I think maybe two now. I'm not sure because everyone's, everyone's kind of just growing, so it's hard to keep track of everybody. But um, basically people that uh, had a lot more experience than I did um, at the time of writing it, and they were able to kind of validate what I was saying. You know, I kind of use their quotes to back up saying, you know, here's someone important saying what I just said. Um, so there's all sorts of people from all walks of, 
including the CEO of Upwork. He's in there too. So well, that's awesome, man. Uh, that's incredible. Good for you. Um, did you, did you write it all completely on your own or did you have like a ghostwriter help you or what was like a writing process like? So I wrote it, um, wrote it all myself, but I'm not, I'm kind of like a messy, I don't know if you can tell through this interview. I'm kind of like a messy thinker. <laughs> I'm all over the map sometimes. Like, so when I write things, it's just like, it's all over. So I wrote 60,000 words or so myself. And then I had a, a, a editor go through and basically like, he was like a very like thorough editor. He wasn't just editing words. He would like rewrite sentences if it needed to be, et cetera, for things to flow properly. Uh, so he was just, he was very aggressive and that's what my book needed. Uh, so I wrote everything myself and people who, you know, read it, even people who, when, like, of course you, you write a book, even though it doesn't make sense for some of your family members to read it. My grandmother has read it. She's like, I read your book. I'm like, well, you're not building a software company, but I appreciate the support grandma. Um, so she's like, she can tell she's like, yeah, Josh, this sounds a lot like you. Um, so a lot of things in there, um, still sound just like me, but I did have an editor go through and just clean it up and make yeah, things no, uh, make more sense. sense. Completely. All right. Um, I mean, I'm curious, like, did you like self publish it or did you have it like distributed with a publisher? Or? Uh, there's a, this is publisher called like Morgan James. It's, it's a publisher. Um, but it's like not really that legit because you, you just pay kind of for distribution. And a lot of people use this publisher though in the space. The reason I went through them is because, you know, E. Brian Rose, the founder of JB Zoo did it. And there was just like, at the time I'm kind of, not really uh, in those circles anymore, but there was Joel calm another big guy. There was, there was probably 10 people that I saw that wrote, wrote books. That I saw write books on my timeline over the years. I'm, and I kind of just went through all these different publishers. I went to the bookstore and I, and I wrote down, I remember going to the bookstore, my local bookstores, I'd write down um, all the different publishers that were in there and then going through, okay, so there's big ones here that I basically won't be able to get into because I'm a first time author. I'm super young. I'm not a great writer. I have knowledge that I, I think is valuable, but the writing ability is, is uh, subpar. So I, I wasn't able to, you know, go after Penguin. And plus I didn't want to get an agent involved because getting a literary agent is a ton of work. Um, you really got to have a good offer, um, and experience, et cetera. So I basically went through all these different publishers and kind of the best balance was, was Morgan James. Um, you know, they, they got me in all the distribution I wanted. You know, they, they were, I was in, uh, you can order it on, on target. I saw Walmart, uh, Barnes and Noble in Canada, the chapters Indigo, et cetera. So, um, I did publish, but it was very like, it very feels very much like self-publishing because it, you still are main, the main driver behind your book. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's great. And I'm uh, sorry, last question about the books. And like, I'm very curious, like how, how did the, the launch go? Uh, had you get good feedback? Like, do you share how many copies were sold, for example? No, I don't really share numbers. It, it was good enough. I mean, did I make my money back in time? Like if I value my time, how much, I'm, how much time I got into it, did I make that back? No. Like it's just, it was just, it's like almost like a charity project where I'm just giving information to people who want to hear what I have to say. And as long as, you know, people that were hitting me up saying, Hey Josh, Hey Josh, can you help me? Can you help me? As long as, you know, they're reading it and, you know, I can focus on my own work instead of answering all these different questions constantly. Uh, you know, it, it was worthwhile for me. So I think it helped a lot of people. I get a lot of good feedback. Um, people are generally appreciative of it. So that's, that's rewarding in itself. Um, I didn't write it for the money or the, you know, the famous success. If I want money, I would just build it. You know, another no, I, I totally agree. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I think it's a shame for, for anyone with, with valuable insights and experiences to keep that bottled in. 
Uh, I think it's, it's important. It's mm-hmm. nice to, to just share and, and give back. Uh, even if um, someone captures like a little tiny nugget of something you say, and it helps propel them in some way, I think that's very gratifying and uh, good for the entire ecosystem as a mm-hmm. whole. So I get you. Um, switching gears a little bit. So I see a topic you like um, talking about is, is uh, on financial success. And, you know, that's very relative, of course. But what does financial success mean to you? And why is that such an important topic to discuss? Financial success. So it's very subjective for the person. Um, you know, everyone money is probably the number one thing that will cause the most grief or could cause the most grief in your life. There's nothing like being in debt. There's just, I've never really been there, but I've seen people, I get the sob stories. People message me. I just had one before I got on call. Actually, someone just sent me messages and it's, it is heartbreaking to see people go through hard financial times. And, you know, it just, yeah, it's hard to watch. And so I've been very cautious and watched that and, and pay a lot of attention to what, you know, financial hardship can really put you through. You know, it can take everything from you. It can destroy your family. It can just dest- like, it's one of the biggest destroyer of marriages, et cetera. But everyone doesn't need a billion dollars. Like I think the main thing with finance is most people need less money than they think they need. You know, I, especially among young people, I think when you get older, you start realizing, you know what? I don't need that much. But when they're young, they're like, Oh, I need all this. I need that. I need a Lamborghini. You know, funniest thing. When I was starting my first company, I thought I wanted a Lamborghini. I was like, yeah, I want to be like 18. I'm going to drive a Lamborghini. I want to get this Lamborghini, this color. I was so set. And then I was like, it was 21 when I could afford it. And I was like, you know what? I called around and the McLaren dealership still hits me up. Cause I was looking at that too. And when I just, when I could afford it, I didn't even want it anymore because I was buying it for the wrong reason. I was buying it to kind of prove myself to the people that yes, I can, I can do it. I can do it at a young age. Um, and you know, I kind of matured as I got older. I was like, you know what? I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Um, I'm happy with what I have. So that was kind of like, you have to really see why you want to be financially successful. Like what, what do you really need? to get by. Do you want to travel? Do you need a big house? Do you want a big house? And then second question is, do you really need a big house or why do you need a big house? Um, like funny stories, my buddy, he, uh, after some financial success, him and his girlfriend went house shopping and they were looking at this house, just the two of them. And they have a bunch of dogs, they rescue dogs. And she took them to a house and it was like, I want to say like 10,000 square feet, like eight bedrooms. And he's like, why do we need this? Like what, what, we don't have kids. We don't have like people, tons of people that always visit. Like why do we need an eight bedroom house? And so they bought one down or they got one down the street, which was like four or five, still a big house, but it was just like, you really got to consider why do you need, or you think you need so much, you know, you could probably get by with, you know, half of what your real, real goal is. So that's, that's important. When it comes to financial success, I think that's important is identifying really what you need to make yourself happy. Do you want to travel, et cetera. So that's kind of what comes to mind. Were you expecting something? No, no, that's, that's, that's an answer. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So another question I have for you, you know, as a, as a CEO, young founder who, who runs multiple companies, wears multiple hats, what does a typical day look like for you? Okay. That changes, um, a lot, uh, over the years. So, um, to address the first thing is what time you wake up at that really depends on 
what almost what, for me, it's what season I'm in. Cause in the summertime I'm out with my friends more. I'm, I have more of a social life. I'm less of a hermit. I'm up later. I'm sleeping in later in the winter. And depending on if I'm living in Canada, last winter, I lived in uh, uh, California sunrise. I don't like to wake up before sunrise. So kind of like anytime after the sun is up, I'm willing to wake up. So a lot of people are like, Oh, you gotta wake up at 5. AM. I liked that when I was in California and it was pretty bright out before six, but now in Canada, it is cold and dark at 5. AM. And I don't want to get out of bed until later. Uh, the main thing with sleep schedule is that, uh, what time you wake up is not as important as having a schedule in itself. So as long as you're waking up and going to bed at the same time every day, um, that's important. My daily, my day right now, I'm um, really focused on health. Um, side fact, I have something called Crohn's disease and I kind of neglected that, uh, pursuing financial success in my early years. And I'm kind of, now that I have money and kind of have everything set up, my own place, et cetera, I've been focusing more on health. So my day, uh, generally I wake up when I know I'm fully rested. I don't try to, I, I know I could get, I'm excited to get out of bed in the morning. I could wake up earlier and earlier if I wanted to. That's not an issue of motivation for me. It's almost like I force myself. I'm like, no, Josh, you only got, do quick math. You only got six hours. You only got seven hours. You need to sleep a little bit longer before you're allowed to wake up. And then when I'm up, you know, breakfast and I hit the gym, I go to the gym five to six days a week. I come back, I shower, I eat again, and then I start my day around usually like 11 a.m. or so. And that's when I start, um, you know, getting on emails, seeing what's going on for the day. A lot of my days, like I only have two scheduled events usually per day, like meetings or phone calls. So much of my day is really open to me and how I want it, what I want to do and where I want to take it. Um, so I'm always like, you know, a lot, I spend a lot of time reading. Um, not necessarily in a book, but I spent a lot of time reading different forms and things that people say online and, and just pursuing things Wikipedia. I'm always reading and trying to just gain more knowledge. And I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and sometimes it resu- results in like good things. Sometimes it's like, Hmm, I haven't really found anything new yet today or well, anyways. Um, so my day, I eat five meals a day. That's, that's really important for me. I'm trying to gain weight as I was used to be really skinny. Um, and then I work probably five to seven hours a day. You go back three years ago, four years ago in, in school, I would wake up and probably do nothing but work for at least 12 hours. Like there were many days where I wasn't working 12 hours and I would just stay in my apartment all day and work, work, work. And I would forget to eat and it was bad for my health. And I just, just kind of neglected health and, and stayed up late and kept working and working and more phone calls. And I made a lot of money. I was, you know, financially it was a successful time, but I neglected a lot of other things in my life. So since then my daily routine has changed. That's awesome. You know, there's nothing like having uh, full control of your time, which I think is the most valuable thing. So um, what about um, like any, do you have any tools or apps that you use to help you stay focused and productive or? Um, I'm pretty old school, uh, sitting here at my desk. I have a ton of uh, notepads in front of me with different to-do lists based on different companies. Um, and where I'm at with each company and what needs to be done. Because sometimes if I step away for a while and take a break, I come back and I forget where we're at with a certain company. And you know, if I'm waiting on me or my partner to take an action, et cetera. So a lot of it is based on, um, lists that are on paper. I have a calendar app that I use, just the iCalendar um, and Apple, nothing fancy. Um, for projects, software projects, when they get to a certain size, I use Trello, um, pretty common in the space. But I just, I, I really enjoy the time that I, I'm not looking at a, a screen because I spend so much time looking at a screen. So anything that I can just 
instead of being on Trello, if I'm making the Trello board, say it's only, I'm the only person in the company, I'll just use pen and paper instead. Uh, it's less time on a, on a screen and I, and I don't need to share with anyone else. So I try to keep everything um, as much as possible. Yeah, on I'm no saying, pads man, and very old school. I like to, you know, put uh, pen to paper. Although I did come across, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a, um, a mole, moleskin. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but the notebooks, but it's a, it's a moleskin tech notebook. So you can actually write like a notebook, but it, I think it has like special paper or pen that oh, actually okay. translates to your phone oh, yeah. or, or app, which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Anyway, so uh, Josh, do you want to be mindful of your time? Um, I do like to end off each chat with what I call the founders three. You ready? All right. Number one, sure. um, your favorite business book, other than your own book, The Non-Technical Founder, which I'll link to in my show notes so people can pick it up. But what is your favorite business book? I would say Rocket Fuel. For business, specifically business, uh, Rocket Fuel really opened my mind. Nice. Perfect. And uh, number two, your favorite vacation spot. My favorite vacation spot depends on who I'm with or who I'm going to see. Uh, for example, I really like Vegas lately because my partner's there. We get along really well. Our days are very similar and our goals are very similar. So I'm really enjoying Vegas right now. Nice. Awesome. And uh, lastly, if you can go back, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you were just starting out in business? Your early years are precious. So be careful on how you spend your time. You know, you don't want to spend too much time uh, pursuing finance when you're neglecting health or neglecting friendship, et cetera. So really pay attention, uh, you know, when you're before the age of, before the age of graduating college on, on how you choose to spend your time. Don't, uh, have too much fun, but, you know, take some time to, you know, eat right, go to the gym and, and spend time with friends. Love it. Love it. Very wise. All right, Josh, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate this. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to connect. I hope we can do it again sometime. Sounds great, man. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.